Welcome to Lunch Pell Sermons. My messages begin with the assumption that the Bible's teaching is simple. Love God, do good. With that simple message, the Spirit delivers divine haymakers that nudge us toward becoming better followers of Jesus. I hope this sermon helps you in living God's adventure for your life. Our um, uh, passage today, which is, we're looking at the power of a personal story. And we're going to see Paul tell his story, and we're going to see the power that comes with that. And when we left off last week, Paul was being um, highly dissuaded by people um, not to go to Jerusalem. They said, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, uh, you will be arrested and bad things are going to happen to you. And Paul said, that's where God wants me and that's where I'm going anyway. And as um, we pick up um, with our text today, no surprise, Paul has head to Jerusalem, just as he said he would. And no surprise, Paul has been arrested, uh, just as his friends said would happen. And we're going to find Paul um, speaking to the people Um, immediately after his arrest. I'm actually going to begin reading in Acts chapter 21, verse 37. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists down to the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Sicily, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen to my defense. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicily, but brought up in this city. I stundered under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do? I asked. Get up the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors have chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one, to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all the people you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. 
And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voice and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. For this is the word of the Lord. As we were going through that, I know it's a little bit of a long reading. But what we do see is that Paul is being brought to be a prisoner. And as a prisoner, he tries to speak to the people, to tell them, hey, I am you. And it doesn't go so well for Paul. The people rise up against him. And one of the things that we see in this is that Paul is telling his story. But we also see some other things that are helpful for Paul. And um, one of the things that we're going to see is that the first thing is we see the power of speaking another person's language. And so that is absolutely what Paul does at the beginning. After the arrest takes place, Paul is speaking to the soldiers in Greek, which surprises them. They were expecting Paul to speak in some other language of kind of the non-elite status. You're not one of us, they were thinking. And yet, Paul comes to them and speaks to them in Greek, which catches their attention. And then Paul says, well, you know, now that I've got your attention, maybe, maybe you'll let me speak to the crowd. And surprisingly enough, they absolutely let Paul speak to this crowd. And so this is the crowd of the Jews who have been coming against him, and they are ready to cause him harm. These are the people who have brought about his arrest. This is a mob that has formed and carried Paul away and brought him to the Roman officials and say, we want this man arrested. He's causing problems here. So Paul speaks to the mob who is gathering around him. And we're told in Acts 21.40, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd, When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Aramaic, the passage makes it clear that Paul is now speaking to them in a different language. He is speaking to the people in their tongue, in Aramaic. And so the Jewish people are part of the Roman Empire, and in the Roman Empire they're speaking Greek. The Jewish people have maintained their own language, which has evolved from Hebrew to a dialect of Hebrew that is Aramaic. And in fact, the Old Testament has parts of two books, so the books of Daniel and Ezra, which are two very late written books in the Old Testament, are written in Aramaic, the language of the people. And that is what Paul is speaking to them. He is speaking to them in their language. The scriptures have a few other times where the mention of Aramaic is brought to to the fore. And so those actually come in the life of Jesus. And so Jesus spoke Aramaic. But our New Testament is recorded in Greek. So the, and then we have the English translation. So as we come to our Bible and we hear of Jesus, we have a translation of a translation. There are a few moments in our scripture 
When, when Jesus is performing a miracle, the book of Mark records his exact words in Aramaic. And so as Jesus is raising someone from the dead, his words are remembered there, his exact words. And as Jesus is on the cross and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The gospel of Mark doesn't translate. It gives us those words, the power of the words that are being spoken. The power of speaking someone's language we see here in this passage. And we see a little bit later at the beginning of chapter 2 in verse 2. It says, when they heard him speaking in Aramaic, they became very quiet. They said, he's speaking our language. Think of it. He's speaking our language. How powerful is it to speak someone's language in a way that they can understand? I can think of an everyday example that comes to mind, and that's when you go to the doctor, and the doctor is trying to give you a diagnosis and a treatment, and their mind is filled with all this information, all these different body parts and medicines and all this stuff that's going through their mind. And at least when they're talking to me, they would need to bring that down into a very simplified version. And so that's when we think of a good doctor. A good doctor is not only able to treat you, but communicate to you in a way that you can understand. We see a great biblical example of speaking someone's language with the birth of Jesus. So when Jesus was born, the message is sent to the wise men, the wise men of the East. And how is the message sent? It's sent by a star, a star in the sky, because that's the language they understood. When they saw a star, they said, we're going. Why did God send them a star? Because that's what they would understand. In the same way, we see Paul here speaking to the people in a language they will understand. Which brings us to today in the church. Are we effective at speaking other people's language? And I'm not just talking about other person's tongue. I'm talking about are we able to speak to them in a way that they can hear and understand what we are saying? It is indeed a moving target, isn't it? It's hard to speak to people in a way that they understand. Have you ever tried to speak about something and you just get that blank look? And you're like, that that didn't come through. I think a lot of times our Christian messages are like that. We're trying, um, but but it's just blankness back at us, right? And we're like, oh, let's talk about something else. Can we speak other people's language? And um, I really enjoyed our music today as we had um, music. What, what, What country was it from today you mentioned? The Zulu tribe. So as we, as we got music today, um, that was part of the Zulu tribe. Now, I'm not going to remember those words, and if I meet someone from the Zulu tribe, I, I, I won't be any better off right now than I was a few moments ago, right? But you know what, what does help about that? Is it changes our heart and our attitude. That we say, yeah, there's people out there, and we need to be adjusting to them. We need to get the message across to them. We need to be speaking another people's language. And we've seen that this morning uh, as we, the song we've already sang. And I think we've got another one later today that also. Yeah, from uh, the Korean song. We'll sing it in English. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So we'll, we'll be. 
music is a great way to remind us. We need to speak other people's language. And of course, our message is always Jesus. Our message is the same. Our message is we all need Jesus. God is there to help us. The thing is, can we get that message across in a way that people understand what we're saying? It's not easy. But I think recognizing that is a challenge is a long way to solving the problem. Let's look at the next section, and we are going to be looking at the power of a personal story. The power of a personal story, which is really the focus point of our message today. And this personal story that we are going to encounter is Paul's journey of faith, Paul's conversion story. And so people have different conversion stories, times that they weren't following God and they make a choice, and then they are. And in talking to people, there are usually, I kind of hear, kind of one of three conversion stories. Um, there's the, I was raised in the church, and I never remember being away from God. And usually someone on this path, somewhere in early adulthood, there'll be some sort of event in life, some season of life of which they will make that decision their own. And that would be their conversion. So it's, it's spread out really over a span of time. Some people, it's more kind of a, a much smaller period of time, maybe a few months, and they're like, I, you know, at the start of this season, I was, I was not right with God. Just stuff started changing. And six months later, I, I, I was just different. Sometimes there's that season of change. And then some conversion stories are like we're going to see here with Paul, which is there was a moment, a moment that God's presence was made known and my life changed and the direction I was going suddenly went an entire way because at that moment, I experienced and so as you think of your own story, which is what I want you to do right now, I want you to just kind of reflect upon your own story. How does yours fit? Is yours like Paul? Maybe. Maybe a little different. Each person has their own story. And as you know where I'm going, there's power in your story. Whatever your story is, there is power in it. And I've definitely heard people say, oh, you know, my story is just kind of boring. But no! <laughs> Stop! Your story is not boring, right? Maybe you don't have one of these dynamic stories of, you know, crazy life doing the most terrific things that we can think of in this, you know, incredible moment of turning life around and experience Jesus. And maybe you're not like Paul where you got, you know, Jesus himself speaking to you and lights and stuff on your eyes and all of this. But your story is powerful because it's yours. And... As you know, if you've, as you've heard anyone tell any kind of story, when it's their story, when there's passion behind it, you listen and you hear and you say, there's something to that. There's something to that. So whatever your story is, I want you to know there's power in it. And there's especially power in it when you communicate it to others. Let's look at Paul's story today. And we're going to see as Paul goes about telling his story that Two H words come to mind um, in Paul's story. First is humility. That is for Paul. Paul is, again, like, I just need God's help. It is a humble story. Next we see is the hero. And the hero of this story, it's Jesus. So it's a good conversion story when the hero is Jesus. And you tell it with humility. And Paul's story of conversion really fits into three different time timelines. And your story of conversion is going to be the same. It's going to fit into the same timeline. 
There's a before, there's a decision point, and then there's a living with that. There's an after. So there's a before, a deciding, and an after. And Paul, as he is communicating to this crowd, he tells them about what life was like before. And Paul says, I was most zealous for following the law. He even does a little name dropping of Gamaliel, who is this great instructor in the law. Paul was saying to the people, right? you, you, you think I'm not a, a good Jew? Paul says, I was the best of the Jews. You don't think I'm concerned about the law? I dedicated my life to learning the law. You don't think I was devout and following it? I followed every tiny speck of it that I could. And Paul was even going to say, I was so devout and committed to the law that when these Christians arose and we looked at them as outsiders, I went and rounded them up, even approving of the death of Stephen. But then Paul has this dramatic moment where he encounters Jesus. It is a moment of decision for him. And this bright light and this voice come. No one else can quite understand this voice. They realize there's something going on. As Paul's companions are like, hey, what's going on? And Paul hears this voice saying to him, it's recorded in verse 7, it says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul being Saul, who became Paul. Same person, different name. Why do you persecute me? And Paul's like, who are you? And that voice says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Whoa. (laughs) That'll catch your attention, right? (laughs) That will catch your attention. I thought you were dead, Jesus. I thought they put you on a cross and you're no longer alive. And, you know, I thought those Christians who said that you came back to life were just making it up, right? That's why I've been rounding them up and even saying it's okay to kill them. But now this man who was supposed to be well dead is confronting me here. And Paul has a moment, an authentic encounter with Jesus. And he changes the direction he is going in his life. This is salvation. This is salvation. When you're going one direction in life and you encounter Jesus, because of Jesus' presence in your life, you move in an entirely different way. Jesus changes the direction of our life. Not everyone's good with that, but that is what salvation is. Jesus fundamentally changes the direction that we are going with our own life. And so often people want to more kind of graft Jesus onto them. You know, I'm kind of headed this way. And maybe, Jesus, come on, you can be my buddy here. We'll do it together. Let's go. Which is it? What salvation is? Salvation is you were doing your own thing. And then you encounter Jesus. And then you start doing the Jesus thing. There is salvation. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you're not making mistakes. It doesn't mean that the sins that you were committing before are suddenly evaporated from your life because you still got them. But fundamentally, who you are as a person has changed. Your relationship with God has changed. And you have put yourself on a different course. Instead of satisfying your own wants and needs, you suddenly find yourself saying, what does God want for me? Whoa, that is a powerful question to ask, isn't it? 
But that is a question that people who have experienced salvation do ask. As Paul continues in his story, he meets up with a man named Ananias who comes and says, Paul, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away. Paul, it's time. It's time to make that decision final. And we see Paul as he does. He follows Ananias' advice. And his life is fundamentally changed. This man who once pursued Christians, seeking to put them to death, now will become their greatest champion. And then Paul's story, as he tells it and continues on, we see the trajectory of his life move in a completely different way. And Paul, by God's guidance, is called to leave Jerusalem. The question we have for us is, how, how has life changed for you because of Jesus? We can look at Paul and we can see the changes that are taking place. The moving from this place to that, and even after his uh, moment of salvation changed there. The question I'd have for you, what, how, how is our life changing because we have brought Jesus into it? It's a good question for us. What are the changes that are in your life? What are the events, the pieces, the parts of your life that are present right now because the presence of God is within you? Hopefully you can put your finger on some things. The other thing I would say is, what's new? What's, what's different from you from one year ago? What's different from you from two years ago? Because one of the things that as followers of Jesus we can do, we can have that moment of salvation that was at some point in the past. And we make some changes right away, but then the energy kind of slowly fades. We kind of find ourselves kind of like on this spiritual plateau. We kind of got as high as we're going to get, and we feel okay with it. That's not what God calls us to God calls us to keep climbing up that mountainside. We're never going to reach the plateau. Right? God says, just keep climbing. It's hard and it's difficult. And the reality is, the older you get, I think the harder it is to keep that energy up. Because it does feel a little bit like you're paddling upstream when you are trying to grow spiritually. The flow, if you would just let it go, right? You could just get kind of go with it, you know. And, but it takes some effort. It's not easy. I mean, we mentioned the story of Paul. It takes some humility. And that coming to Jesus takes humility because we say it's not about me. Growing spiritually also takes humility because it's the same process. It's not about me. It is about God. So I ask you today, what, what, what is your life trajectory going to look like? I hope you follow Jesus. If you haven't followed Jesus, do that. that that's where it starts. If you haven't had that moment of salvation, then today's the day. Don't let the day go by. Maybe this is your moment. If you have had that moment of salvation, what is your life trajectory? Are you going to live a life that is all about you? Are you going to live a life where someone else is the hero? Will you live a life where God is the hero of your story. That's what we're called to. We're called to a life where God is our hero. 
And that sets us apart from the, the people who are not on the spiritual journey with us. Because when we talk to people who are not part of this spiritual journey, we see them trying to pursue their own hero status and their own story. It's about what they can accomplish. And if they didn't quite get it, maybe it's what their kids got done. And if their kids didn't quite get it, maybe it's what their grandkids got done. No, it's always about these things that we're doing. What did we get? I got that. The hero. Hero. You know, and people are really subtle about telling that story. So often the hero is the self. So when I ask you, who's the hero of your story? Is it the person you see in the mirror? I hope not. I hope the hero of your story is God. There's no way to get there other than a little humility. To say, God, I'm letting you take over. I'm going to let you be the hero of my life. And if that's not the trajectory of your life, when should you start? You should start today. You say, I've wasted some years. Haven't we all? Haven't we all? Who among us hasn't? Let's make the best of the time in front of us. We can't change what lies behind us. And your story, your story is powerful, right? When we first started, mentioning just asked, what's your story? There's power in your story. And there's power in your story as you communicate it to others. When the hero it's not you, but God. And as we look at Paul's story here, the hero is God. It isn't Paul. When you read through that, and Paul actually tells this story three times. He tells it, kind of tweaks it a little bit to each crowd, but he tells it three times. And telling it three times, it's still all about God. So I hope the same is true for your story as well. Finally, one last point we want to look at. There's the power of an unwelcomed truth. The power of an unwelcomed truth. As Paul is speaking to this crowd, remember he's facing this hostile crowd who has had him arrested. And he's caught their attention by speaking Aramaic. And he's told his story of conversion and following Jesus. And then Paul says to them that God has sent him to the Gentiles. Wow. These people are not happy that God has sent him to the Gentiles. That doesn't seem like the right course of action. And we see in verse 22 that these people, they raise their voices and they say, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Yeah. They have heard the truth and they do not like it. Paul's commitment to God, it cuts against their worldview, their religion, their, their culture. What they run into is that their idea of God doesn't match with what Paul has explained who is God, which is really similar to what we encounter today. So in other words, Paul is saying to them, I encountered God. I encountered Jesus on this road. And in the process of my journey of faith, Paul, God has given me directions to go to the Gentiles. Go to all people. And this group who is here says, no, that's not what God would do. 
God wouldn't send you to people who aren't us. God wouldn't send you to all the peoples of the world. And anyone who says otherwise must not be from God. And that is why they turned their anger upon Paul. Because Paul has spoken the truth about God that they would never believe. Because it doesn't fit into what they've decided God already is. You remember I mentioned earlier that when we come and follow Jesus, our life fundamentally changes. We change from one direction to the other. We don't put God beside us and say, God, you're coming with me, and now we're going to do this together. What Paul is encountering is people who have God on their side saying, we're going to do this together, God. And if I don't like it, then God must not like it either. And what was the message that was so affronting to these people? What was the message that they said, no, take him away. He's not with us. Paul's message that God is for all people. That, that doesn't seem like the kind of thing that would make you angry. But when you carry God around on your side, you end up in strange places. You end up in strange places. It's the cautionary tale. <laughs> that story of conversion, you gotta turn and follow God. You gotta go God's way. It's not about God beside you. It's God, I'm behind you. I'm going where you are going. We see there is power to a person's story. There is power. With Paul's story, in this case, it didn't turn out so well. We don't find conversions happening. We don't have people saying, yes, that's the truth. We're with you. We find hostility. But here's the thing. Sometimes... The message of God will be received with hostility to people who are not part of God's family. That's true. That is true. And when that happens, a couple of things. First, I don't want us to deliver the message in a way that causes hostility. In other words, if we're mean, angry people who are all self-centered and self-righteous and judgmental, no wonder people aren't going to want to hear our message. They're not rejecting God, they're rejecting us, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. So if we're going to communicate God to people, let's do it in a winsome way that reflects the love of God for all people. And if people are going to hear our message and receive it with hostility, let it be because we spoke the truth. If we're going down, I'm going down with the truth of God on my side. I'll, I'll live with the consequences, right? I'll live with the consequences of the truth of God. And I encourage us as a church to do the same. We're going to love people. We're going to love, genuinely love people. We're going to tell them our story. And we're going to tell them the truth. Because the truth is what changes lives. An encounter with God changes lives and it changes them in a way that truly the trajectory we were once on is now different. Thanks for listening to Lunch Pell Sermons. 
Now it's time to put these words into action and go live our adventure. Let's love God and do good.